Chapter 12 Jennifer reached inside the microwave oven and wrapped her hand carelessly around the mug of steaming water. She carried it to the sink, unresponsive to the burning in her palm from the hot ceramic. She placed the mug on the counter and stirred a teaspoon of sugar into its contents before dropping in a bag of Earl Grey tea. She stared out of the kitchen window at the swing set nestled in the backyard snow. A thin layer of the frozen crystals shimmered beneath the radiance of the midday sun, but the beauty was undiscerning to her as she gazed at the chains of a swing that supported the mid-air quiescence of its seat, a swing that portrayed anguish as it remained undisturbed by wind or by child. It had been nearly four months since Arlen died, three months and nineteen days to be exact, and following a tormented holiday season, Jennifer felt as though she had been drained of her emotions. The Christmas gift of flowers for his grave seemed absurdly inadequate, but she was diligent in tending the site. It was only on those occasions that she granted herself freedom from her home. The circumstances surrounding Arlen's death seemed to be gnawing at her now constantly queasy stomach. Arlen was found slumped over from a seated position in the bathtub. The coroner reported that Arlen received a slight blow to the head that knocked him unconscious, causing him to slump forward into the tub, where he inhaled enough water to asphyxiate him. Forensic investigator Jeff Hubbard surmised that Arlen had attempted to stand up and slipped on the soap that had been left in the water. He believed Arlen had hit his head on the edge of the tub. The force of the blow was moderate, but hard enough to render him unconscious. The police had interviewed both Dominic Marconi Jr., and Earl Hales as they had collaborated Sean's story, releasing him of any suspicion. The death was subsequently ruled an accidental drowning. Jennifer could not help but wonder how Arlen was found slumped forward if he had indeed fallen backwards to receive the blow to his head. However, she was too afraid to say anything or to speculate further, too afraid of discovering something that she was not prepared to face. She knew that Sean loved Arlen. She had no previous cause to suspect he was the least bit abusive toward him. Nevertheless, she was aware of Sean's quick temper, and a piece of the puzzle seemed to be missing. She had listlessly drifted over the kitchen table and slipped into a chair as her thoughts continued to churn. She stared into the depths of the dark tea, praying that Arlen did not feel anything when his lungs were laboring for oxygen. Squeezing her eyes shut, she pushed back the image that was taking form in her mind. Jennifer's psyche had become so friable following Arlen's passing that the events that preceded seemed distorted and confusing to her. The memories were gray and fragmented, with no hope of ever placing the past three months in chronological order. Arlen's viewing was an agonizing homage to her son as she attempted to hold tight to her last ounce of strength. It was painful to endure, but important for Arlen to know how much everyone loved him. His ivory and gold casket was displayed in front of the southern wall, an area heavily adorned with sprays of flowers. A line of plush burgundy chairs had been placed at the eastern wall of the funeral home for the immediate family. The people in attendance walked down the aisle, pausing to grieve with the parents before saying a final goodbye to Arlen and being seated. Sean's grandmother, Megan Bergen, was the first in the line of the immediate family. She and her husband, Thomas, had raised the young Sean, but only she remained as Sean's living parent. Jennifer's father, Donald Gray, had been seated next to Megan, followed by Jennifer and Sean. Jennifer had walked to her seat, clutching onto Sean to bring stability to her trembling legs. Her eyes were red and irritated from days of nearly constant weeping, her lids heavy and darkened from lack of rest. She had pulled her hair back into a ponytail with no desire for any attempt at beauty. Sitting quietly staring at the casket, she hoped Arlen would soon awaken from her nightmare. She could almost hear the words, Mommy, wake up, as they crossed his lips. No creature of God could ever hope to replace what she had lost. She longed now more than ever to see his serendipitous blue eyes 
and the innocuous smile. The tiny angelic face had always possessed the ability to draw Jennifer from the depths of any depression into a light of contentment. Tears streamed from her eyes, mercifully blurring her final image of Arlen as he nestled into the hands of God. She had released a tormented sigh as a hand pressed gently upon her shoulder. She looked up to see Sean's elder brother Neil Bergen Jr. and his wife Suzanne, the first to arrive with their condolences. Neil had knelt in front of her and held her tight. I'm sorry, sis. His voice was rasped and his eyes roomy. You gonna be okay? Jennifer had held on to him, trying to draw from his strength as her sobs now became hauntingly audible. It was a sound of painful despair, sobs that lift the hairs from the back of the human neck and made one's stomach instantly twist. Neil released his embrace and stepped back to allow Suzanne access to Jennifer. The couple had then spoken to Sean, hugging him and reminding him to call if he and Jennifer needed anything before quietly moving on toward the casket. Jennifer's sobs had no sooner begun to ease as Sean's sister Colleen and her husband Kurt Ansbach arrived in front of her. Colleen knelt beside her and gently stroked the back of her hand. Whispering in a tone so soft that Jennifer could not hear the words she spoke, she merely nodded politely until Colleen moved on. The next to arrive was Sean's sister Arlene, a woman that Jennifer had adopted as the sister she never had. The pair became instantly inseparable from the moment they met, and Arlene became the namesake of Jennifer's son. Jennifer rose to her feet and clutched her arms around Arlene as they shared the grief of their loss. Sean, who had been standing to hug Colleen, rubbed his hands gently over Jennifer's back. Aunt Arlene was the obvious favorite when she visited the child. Even as a baby, Arlen would not accept anyone else holding him if his aunt were in the room. Arlene stepped back from Jennifer and embraced Sean as the line of people continued. Jennifer cried with each person in attendance as they arrived at her side. Her sobs increased every time a new familiar face came into view. Many of the people Jennifer worked with had come to show their support. Trina Rathburn, Vincent Michaels, Shauna Terrell, Steve Reeser, and the manager Jonathan Schneese all arrived together, some bringing spouses with them. The Bergen family doctor, Alexander Conahan, had been in attendance with his wife Nancy. Dr. Conahan, who had stayed with Jennifer during her struggle to become pregnant, had taken Arlen's death surprisingly hard. Jennifer remembered seeing tears on his cheeks as he passed through the procession. Jennifer stood to greet June Eckley and her 17-year-old daughter Angelia, who coordinated their available time to babysit Arlen any hours they were needed. June would watch Arlen during school hours, and Angelia would watch him on the weekends. The three embraced and cried together. June's husband, Harold, watched them, shuffling his feet uncomfortably, unaware of what to say at these times. Gail Harris, who was the best friend of Sean's mother, Eileen, was the next to be received. Gail had become Sean's surrogate mother when Eileen passed away. Wendy Parks, who was part of Sean's graduating class and dated him in the ninth grade, returned early from the Philippines to attend. She was now a nurse and had been donating some of her time overseas. Sean seemed genuinely thankful that she had attended, as the two embraced. Dylan Lucas attended with his wife Mallory. Dylan had played high school football with Sean and was now the local pharmacist. Earl Hales, who was accompanied by his wife Tricia, appeared to be burdened by grief as he clutched Sean in a strong embrace. Junior Marconi and their father paid their respects with their presence and one of the largest flower arrangements. Wayne Tibbins, the owner of a quarry and mulch company where Sean purchased mulch and landscaping stones, was in attendance along with Evan Kershaw, the owner of the Honeybrook Shopping Plaza. Jennifer cried with each person while she extracted more of her strength. Her feelings of gratitude towards those in the procession turned into a tired frustration as she found herself longing for the people to stop coming. She became exhausted. 
feeling she could not endure bearing their grief along with her own. She could see the pity in their eyes as they embraced her. She could hear them speak, but did not comprehend their words. As they passed by in what she began to perceive as a macaw's promenade, Father Thomas Morelli performed the service and led them in prayer. When all was finished, those in attendance filed out, while Jennifer and Sean approached the casket for one final time. A thin, powder-blue blanket was folded neatly down at Arlen's waist. Jennifer reached in and pulled the blanket up to his shoulders as though she were tucking him into bed. She ran her fingers through his hair and across his brow, gently kissed his cheek and held his hands through the blanket. Sean placed the action figure of Queen Amidala on Arlen's chest and stared at his serene face, peaceful and resting. Daddy's gonna miss you so much, Sean said, breaking the silence of his tears. I don't think I can do this. Jennifer's head bowed as she wept. She gripped Arlen's hands and buried her face into the blanket. I can't go on without him, Sean. Jennifer turned her head and looked up at Sean. When Sean witnessed the pain and helplessness in her eyes, the last of his spirit broke. The couple knelt on the floor in front of their child's casket, weeping together as they embraced. Their sobs echoed out into the otherwise silent room and were absorbed into the walls of the parlor, joining the many cries that had sounded before theirs. Cries which resonated from the mouths of mothers, fathers, children, and spouses for the loved ones that had been taken from their lives before they were prepared to relinquish them. Jennifer's thoughts of the past faded into the numbness of the present as she sat at her kitchen table staring blankly at the wall, tears now stained her cheeks, but otherwise her face remained placid, void of color and crease. She closed her eyes and placed her lips to the cup of tea, sipping several times before placing the cup back on the table. Her hair was still pulled back into a ponytail. She could not remember the last time she had washed it, nor did she care. She longed to feel normal again, to go to work, eat, and even sleep like a regular person, but the flames of her will had extinguished. There was nothing left of life but to live it, only to finish the journey so she could be reunited with her son. Sean stepped onto the porch, hearing the ice between the boards cracking under his weight. Snow had fallen through the late hours of the evening. He had arisen at four in the morning in order to plow the lots before the stores opened for business. His snow plowing operation boasted 11 clients, plus a free plow for the local volunteer firehouse, an act of goodwill which, today, concealed his ulterior motive. His home had become oppressingly dark, and the longer he was absent from it, the more comfortable he felt. These graying walls were slowly swallowing what remained of his life. Jennifer had not worked since Arlen's death. In fact, she had rarely left the house since the day of his funeral. She barely spoke to Sean, and she showed no signs of affection. She was quietly drifting away from him. He had called Jennifer's father, Donald, several weeks ago for some advice on how Sean could reconnect with Jennifer. And while Donald offered sympathy, he seemed remiss on advice. I know what you're going through, Sean. Donald had told him. Jennifer has always been introverted with her feelings. She buries her emotions deep within herself, allowing things to boil over before she releases them. Her mother was that same way. I was never able to console Sue Ellen when she got upset either. I love the woman dearly, but she tested my love every day. Poor Jennifer went through so much with her mom. God bless her. I know, Dad. You have to be patient with her. Arlen's death was devastating. It was for me, too. Jennifer cannot cope with things as well as you. The poor girl's been through so much. Sean remembered feeling frustrated after that conversation. Her father has acted as if Jennifer lost a son and Sean was merely a witness to the fact. 
Sean's outward calm was no more a testament to his inner turmoil than his marriage was a testament to bliss. Sean paused in the living room to hang his coat in the closet and remove his boots. He took a deep breath and began walking through the dining room. As he entered the kitchen, Jennifer displayed a look of utter indifference as she lifted her attention from a cup of tea. Hi, lass. He spoke the words in a near whisper. He leaned down to Jennifer's back and wrapped his arms around her chest, placing a gentle kiss on the top of her head. Did you sleep okay last night? No response. He made his way to the counter and poured a cup of coffee from the pot he had made before leaving. Coffee tasted stale as he sipped, but it was warm enough to lift the chill the frigid temperature had left on his skin. He sat across from her and cast an occasional glance in her direction. She's remaining deliberately silent, he thought, and avoiding eye contact. The couple sat quietly for nearly ten minutes sipping at their drinks and casting blank stares at alternating walls. Their home felt more like a hollow chamber that they were locked in, and the same could be said of their marriage. Hey, why don't you go up and get a shower? We'll go out for lunch, Sean said, finally breaking the silence. Sean, I can't. Why not? Jennifer sat in silence, avoiding the question, until at last she attempted to divert the subject. If you're hungry, I I can make you something to eat. No thanks. Wendy came by while I was plowing the plaza parking lot and brought me a breakfast sandwich. I wasn't that thoughtful of her, Jennifer answered. Her eyes flashed an emotion that evaporated before Sean could discern its intent. She's been really great through this. She's been there for me when I needed her, Sean stated with a snide undertone. The conversation fell silent as the seconds ticked by like years. The words bit at Jennifer until they gnawed their way into her swelling resentment. She quelled her jealousy and lashed out in an alternate direction. If we go out, you know as well as I do, we're going to run into people we know. I just can't face anyone. I'm not ready yet. People like to gawk and ask a lot of questions. They can be irritating. I'm just not ready for humans right now. (sighs) Jennifer released a long sigh and continued, feel so empty. I wish I could cry. I wish I could scream out in anger. I want the emotions out of me, but I can't release them. I can't smile. I can't laugh. I can't cry. Lass, I'm worried about you. You're not eating right. I wake up when you get out of bed in the middle of the night. It seems you wake up every hour. I didn't know you're going into Arlen's bedroom. Maybe we should try and pack up some of his things. His suggestion was met by a wild glare. We're not packing anything. Okay. He paused for a moment with his head down, trying to structure his next sentence in a conciliatory fashion. Lass, listen, I spoke with Dr. Conahan the other day. He gave me the number for a psychologist. Sean reached into a pocket in his jeans and produced a slip of paper with a telephone number written in ink. His name's Jonathan Bomboy. He's a personal friend of Dr. Conahan. Conahan thought it might be a good idea for you to talk to him. He slid the paper across the table to her. She picked it up and examined it for a moment before floating it back onto the table. I don't need a psychologist. I can fix myself. I just need some time. How much time, lass? It's been nearly four months. Life isn't always a magic garden, lass, but you have to keep living. 
You barely left the house. You refused to go to work. I can't believe they're still holding your job for you. I'm the only one who's bringing money into this house, and the bills are starting to get backed up. You barely speak to me anymore. Not like you used to. When was the last time you told me that you love me? No touching, no kissing, no intimacy? I can't believe you just said that to me. Jennifer looked at Sean in exasperation. Is this what this is about, Sean? Your libido? Your concern because you're not getting enough sex? No! His voice rose in protest. I just want to feel normal again. Why don't you get your precious Wendy to take care of that for you too, Jennifer spat. You're being ridiculous. Wendy's been there as a friend, something that you should be doing. Well, I'm so sorry I'm not as calloused as you are. I'm sorry I can't live up to your standards. Jennifer's eyes flared with anger, anger that had been boiling inside of her for nearly four months, waiting to erupt. You act like I don't feel the same pain as you do. Arlen's gone, Jen, but we have to live on. I lost my son, for Christ's sakes! Jennifer hissed through clenched teeth, her eyes now glazed. I know, Sean yelled. Well, guess what? I did too. Yeah, with one big difference, one of us was there to stop it. Where the fuck are you going with this? I don't know, Sean. Why don't you tell me? I was giving him a bath and the fucking doorbell rang, Sean shouted, pounding his fist into the table. Did the doorbell ring before or after he drowned? Sean's hand slapped against the underside of the table, sending it flipping through the air until it crashed into the counter. He leapt to his feet and stood over Jennifer with his fist pulled back, poised to swing. She could feel the beat of her heart thumping in her throat. She remained seated, trying to portray ambivalence, though her fear grew from the fury that burned in Sean's eyes. His nostrils flared and his face grew a deep shade of red, a torrid moment suspended in time, for which those who bear witness to conceal the memory deep in their minds in an attempt to never think on it again. What's the matter, Sean? Can't control your temper? Go ahead and hit me. The pain will be a fucking relief. I don't even know you anymore. Sean's voice eased as he lowered his fist. Don't you think I've tortured myself enough? The guilt I'm carrying? Sean paused as his mind replayed the argument until reaching a conclusion that nodded in his stomach. You think I murdered our son, don't you? I think my baby's gone and some things just don't add up. Sean's jaw slackened as he backed away. I can't believe this, he managed to utter. He did not halt his retreat until he reached the archway leading into the dining room. I don't have to explain my actions to you. You should know me better than that by now. I wish I could say that I did. Jennifer stammered as she became painfully aware of what she just said. There was no turning back now. Her suspicions were no longer secret. She rose from her chair, and now tears were cascading from her eyes. She stared at the man she thought she knew. She tried to read his reaction, searching for a flinch or a twinge of guilt in his eyes as they avoided hers. But his stare remained locked under her without aversion. Her hands shook uncontrollably as she fought to remain strong. I, I, I have to leave. Sean's voice rattled in confusion. I'll send someone over to get my things. I can't stay in this house another minute with you. She could see the pain in his face, and she wondered if she had made a grave error. The nightmare of Arlen's death seemed destined to continue for her. Sean raised both his hands and ran them over his brow and through his hair. 
you just characterize me as some sort of monster. Right now I am too sick to my stomach to be hungry. When this sickness wears off, I'm going to be angry. Believe me, I'm going to be fucking furious. And you're not going to want to be anywhere near me. Ever. He turned and retreated from the room. Jennifer stood with her hands covering her quivering lips. Tears drenched her cheeks. A part of her wanted to stop him from leaving, perhaps apologize for what she had said, explaining her actions away as those of a grieving mother. But the damage had already been done. She could hear Sean rummage in the closet for a brief moment before she heard the wood-splitting sound of a door slamming shut. The argument had taken only a moment to transpire, but it seemed to take years to unfold. She was lost amid her own confusion, not knowing what was real. She'd allowed her pain and anger to envelop her thoughts and assume control of her speech. She walked slowly and methodically from the kitchen to ascend the staircase. She entered her bedroom and stretched across Sean's side of the bed. She could remember the love that she felt for the two men in her life. But only the love for one of them remained. The one she could no longer hold in her arms. She had loved Sean dearly, but she could not dismiss the doubt which ultimately devoured her feelings. An emotional storm grew within her until it could no longer be subdued. Jennifer became liberated from the apathy that had concealed her feelings. Any self-restraint that remained within her had been spilled about the kitchen floor with the contents of the table. She released a long and tormented wail of anger, pain, and sorrow. The anguish that had been buried within her now released in loud sobs that shook her small frame. She wept without restraint, without shame of the volume of her cries. She pleaded to God for forgiveness. She pleaded to Arlen for strength as she clutched Sean's pillow to her face, smelling the remnants of his cologne. Her cries went on for what seemed like hours, until her sobs faded into sleep.